0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Forever Blue podcast. You probably can notice straight away that my voice is not all it should be. It's not from shouting at Wembley, uh, despite, of course, the great victory or the the win in. Real Madrid uh, but I have um, a sore throat which is a result of, well I won't go into the details of it it's temperature changes and the fact is it was about 26 degrees on the beach in Madrid uh, and it's a bit colder here and I think that's what's actually done me in really uh, with the temperature in my throat other than that, don't worry about my health I'm absolutely fine um, thanks very much as ever to CharlesLouis.co.uk who are Chartered Mortgage Advisors based in Ramsbottom and uh, thanks very much to them for their support of this podcast, which is very much appreciated. In return, if you have any inquiries about taking out a mortgage for yourself, for somebody else, for your company, have a look at their website, charleslouis.co.uk. Or Not only that, you can have a look at the website. It's got loads of information on. There is a telephone number on there. You want to speak to somebody in person, give them a call. They'd be very much appreciative of that call. And of course, don't hesitate to mention that you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast. Now, the cast list today, as ever, it varies from week to week. Uh, We've got uh, Harlan, who's a fairly familiar voice to most people, the Gary Neville look-alike. We've got Louisa, (laughs) who adds the glamour, uh, dare I say, to the podcast. And we have Ryan, who is an old voice. uh, Well, not an old voice, uh, but a a voice from the past, who was here on the very first uh, podcast. Uh, off Forever Blue, but in the meantime has had one or two other priorities, shall we say. Uh, but I'm delighted to say he's back today, and you're very welcome back as well, Ryan, to uh, the Forever Blue podcast. Now, this has been a, an amazing week for Manchester City. They don't come much better than this, really. Um, a 2-1 win at Real Madrid, and we saw what Real Madrid did this weekend. They beat Barcelona by two goals to nil in the classical so they're obviously not quite as bad as some people might have you believe it clearly puts into perspective what a great victory even more for City it was and for me certainly as a fan who's been going uh, away in Europe for every single one of the games I think personally and that's why I call it that on the the vlog that I do that was the greatest European night ever I mean there will be people who say beating Barcelona or other victories were bigger And you can debate that if you want but certainly from my perspective to go away to real madrid in the last 16 in the champions league and to win and to deservedly win is some statement and some measure of what city are at the moment and then a few days later a completely different team i think there were three was it the set that stayed the same eight changes anyway a lot of changes city go to the Carabao Cup final and win another trophy um, under this amazing manager Pep Guardiola what a week so obviously um I'm really skipping what about you three I mean wh- where are you in all this
1: I'm, um yeah I'm delighted I think I just really love the performance against Madrid um I don't think that we we played that lovely wonderful flowy you know game that we we had the last sort of few seasons um but i just think we really dug in and you know may- maybe the way we played just wasn't suited their style so uh, you know the win is fantastic and there, you know i've seen a lot of um, response from non-city fans kind of uh, i don't know going on at us for maybe treating it like a final but i still think as a city fan myself I, I don't know why I still kind of feel like we we're, we're the underdog you know we've you know we've not won this well it was European trophy way back when but we've not I don't know what what am I trying to say uh, I'm, I'm quite just... <laughs> trying to say and it's a very valid
0: point <laughs> I think City fans are quite a humble bunch generally, yeah.
1: and we'll talk about yeah. the
0: generality of being a City fan in a minute. Yeah, I and, read and you I something love out. this
1: giant that that is Madrid. You know, we just absolutely we did fantastic, and I was like really proud. I was <laughs> I felt like a, a soccer mum or something. I don't know. It was a bit a bit of a weird feeling to just see us dig right in and get that win, so we can come home. You know, and whatever happens, happens as a humble city fan i'm still not going to go plowing ahead through this being arrogant and thinking yeah well we're now going to win it we're amazing you know you still have that bit of a um a bit of a step back where you kind of think oh it could still all go wrong because it's City And but I like having that because I don't want to ever be arrogant and I don't want to ever ever support this team thinking that we're just the best and you're all rubbish and we're going to trample all over you
0: Absolutely and I mean with the coronavirus that's knocking about at the moment none of us know what direction that's going to go in and um, who knows that the Champions League that the the trans-European games are probably the ones that are the most vulnerable uh, as far as I'm concerned, if city if if, if city, the whole thing suspended, I'm not saying it will be, but city winning the Madrid still there on the record, but I was still there at the Bernabeu They still did it. I I I, I can't help myself. I I really enjoyed that. Yeah, Ian. Um,
2: hi everyone as well. I am back. Uh, it is not <laughs> the guy I never look alike. It's Harlan, and that's who I am. Um, so Ian, as uh, yeah, no, I'm not I'm not accepting that anymore. We're going. We have to pick a new name. Um, no, going back to the Madrid game. What a what a professional. Tactical performance, it was Um, players did everything that Pep had clearly asked them to do. The setup of the team was different, it wasn't what we're used to seeing. You know, a few unprecedented changes maybe not as unprecedented as as, as you'd think with Jesus playing on the left. He has done that for Brazil a lot. It was Um, the
0: derby team, wasn't it, at Old Trafford?
2: Yeah, it was like you say, it was something different. And I think that you know, Pep didn't only do that to to you know surprise Madrid he did that because maybe that is something that he's been he's been looking to, to not only ex, not experiment with but test and how better to test it than against a side like that and really find out what, what that team is made of um, Jesus on the left like I say a bit like Brazil um, he looked comfortable there he looked like he was getting more ball there he looked like he was you know moving freer and defensively he was fantastic too I just think that you know, Madrid weren't expecting us to set up like that. Zidane wasn't. And people can say all they want Ian, about the fact that it's not Madrid that. that you know, Bale and Ronaldo were, you know, oh, sorry, shall I say, it's not the Madrid that, that Ronaldo was playing for when he was, you know, 27, 28. It's not the Madrid that Bale signed for, for, for you know, for 86 million. It doesn't matter. It was the Real Madrid of 2020, and that's the team that we beat. You can only beat what's in front of you. And the way that we approached that game, and the way that we beat Madrid the other night was superb. And for me, it goes down as, as my favourite European night in my lifetime, anyway. Welcome back, Ryan.
3: Hi. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the Madrid game was our most streetwise European performance, probably of this era. Uh, we went to Madrid, obviously, probably underdogs still in that game. Maybe, uh, maybe favourites in the tie, but I think underdogs at the Bernabeu. Um, and we were streetwise. I say too many times in, in, in the previous years, whether it's been Pep, where it's been Pellegrini, we seem to approach these games in a really certain way. And um, I felt like Pep finally sort of got it right in Europe and I know that sounds quite critical of him but I think you look at Liverpool, maybe Spurs last year, there are li- there have been little things that I think we maybe got wrong. I would probably say most of it's to do with defensive sturdiness and at Madrid we clearly set up in a way that was to stop Madrid scoring but also know that we've got plenty on the counter-attack, we've got plenty to go forward with and I, I mean I would echo the fact that it is our best European night. Uh, we've still got a job to do, obviously, in the second leg and, and Madrid won't be thinking they're out just yet, although we have put ourselves in a really good position. But to finally sort of get that big scalp in Europe, I know a lot of people point to the PSG game a few years ago and we beat them over two legs. But I sort of see PSG as a, as a similar sort of place to where we're at, trying to make their mark in Europe, not quite there yet. Madrid are the big boys in Europe. Whatever they've done in, in the domestic competitions over the years, I know Barca have been on top for a few years in Spain. Madrid have been on top in Europe. Mad- uh, Ronaldo's gone, but this Madrid team is top of La Liga now. Um, I know you could argue maybe Barca are having their best season, but they're not a poor side. And to go there and to turn up and to not be defensively naive and, and leave too many gaps at the back. And I thought the setup was perfect. You know, don't get me wrong. I saw the team and I was a bit like, Aguero's was on the bench and still into a lesser extent I was a little bit surprised about but you're right it was a man united team in the carabao cup it was set up to to pack the midfield to stop the other team scoring and trust our quality on the break so perfect performance I thought and and we were unlucky to go one or down I thought as well but perfect game to take into the second leg really
0: I did a tweet a little video tweet from the Bernabeu basically saying uh, I was a little bit anxious and a bit surprised by the absence of Fernandinho and Aguero in that game Um, some people took that the wrong way and thought I was being critical I was asking the question and expressing my anxiety I was proven completely wrong I'm always happy to be proven wrong and almost always are proven wrong by Pep. I mean when I saw the team at Wembley, I'll be honest again, I thought, Why why all these changes? And great to see Fernandinho back, but you know, I'm not sure how to pick that team. But whether it's lesson learned or whatever, I just thought it'll be right, he'll he'll win. Although I must admit, until the changes were made, particularly when Kevin De Bruyne are on, we didn't quite dominate in the way that we could dominate and did dominate when he came on, but then he's just such a, a phenomenal player. I mean, what was the, the Wembley experience for you? Like, I, I was down there and not all of you will have been there, I assume. No, uh, no, so I did So yeah. you watched it on TV. I watched it on TV. What was the experience for you like then watching it on TV?
1: Um, yeah, for me, um, when Kevin Bruyne did come on, um, I, I think in my own mind, I think I've kind of figured it out that... For when Vincent, you know, went and there was this big gap and I think we really struggled, we've struggled to gel, we've struggled for leadership, we've had this before in another podcast about, you know, somebody being the captain for the entire game um, because I do think switching and swapping that around still still is making a sort of a, a subconscious um, effect on the so players. So would rather have one player captain still, in every I would game. Still, but I understand why they did it yesterday because uh, it was uh, for a slightly separate issue, not issue, slightly separate uh, reason of Silver lifting that trophy, which I think is which a memory that. See, yeah. It? So I understand why they did that yesterday, and you know that's not a complaint at all uh, for that particular match. But I do think we we definitely need somebody consistent to wear that that armband. Um, but uh, you know, and, and if it's going to be Kevin De Bruyne then put it give it in because i feel watching him throughout watching the games throughout the season he is the one that has uh, ramped it up he's the one that said right i'm going to take control of this i'm going to you know sort of spread myself around this pitch and around this team I'm taking control of the game, I'm going to run back to defend, I'm going to be around the midfield, oh and look I'm up ahead and I'm shooting at the goal and I think that the way he's taken control, the players now seem to be responding to him and responding to the way he's playing and, and I don't know if it's happening naturally or I don't know if something something that Pep's doing on purpose but I do feel that the team are gravitating around De Bruyne now and playing his style and his way and I quite like that because I do think that we need to to change it up you know everybody's got used to the way we play now we we are beatable now so we do have to have a new idea to stay in front of all the rest of the teams so when we come back next season we can have a proper go at the Premier League again so if it (laughs) is to build ourselves around one player and it's De Bruyne let's do it let's go for it because for me, I think naturally that's happened this season. As soon as he comes on that pitch if he is subbed, look what happens, look at the magic that he's got and and the way he can link up with other players and now bring other players in like Foden. soon you know Foden play no wonder I was man of the match. I was so impressed with him yesterday. Um, and for him and you know to be linking up with the was magic for me.
0: We'll talk about Phil Foden in a minute, but De Bruyne also took the penalty, didn't he, uh, in Madrid? And I think that that was a big statement too, wasn't it? I think
3: De Bruyne is, is the player in this squad who, if someone's going to drag you through a football match, Kevin De Bruyne will do it. And I think, I, I look at that Watford Cup final in, in May, uh, I think De Bruyne started on the bench that day. He came on, I think he got three assists, maybe scored. The numbers were pretty ridiculous for, I think, a half-an-hour period. I think he got man of the match as well, second-half sub. <coughs> I know it's not been the most successful season in terms of the league campaign. But you know, there's no beating around the bush with that. It's not gone the way we wanted it to. There's still a lot to play for, and, and if you're going to gravitate around anyone, the Bruyne has to be the one. I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about the Port, um, who I think is a really, really good defender. Don't know if he's quite that personality yet that the players will gravitate towards him. And, and if there's a if there's a captain candidate sort of going into next season, I, I think you'd have to slap it on De Bruyne. Um, yesterday came on, and, and you know, City were comfortable in that game yesterday but obviously the goal sort of robs us of that comfort a little bit for an individual error I suppose De Bruyne comes on and I sort of I never really felt we would drop that game I know Claudio Bravo made a very good save at the end and actually you know that's that's the difference between extra time but De Bruyne coming on I just felt comfortable and I sort of thought we're probably going to score again I know we didn't but we always looked good for a goal and I think if we'd gone 2-2 in the last couple of minutes, I think De Bruyne would have dragged us through extra time and I still think that we would have won that final, I had no doubt about it. Like, I just think he, he's the magic man, he's the one we got to get behind and, and if we keep him happy, we keep him in the team, we'll, we'll keep on winning trophies, there'll be no danger of it. I think I, I
2: echo everything they're saying about De Bruyne, the, the two of them, and yourself. Um, you know, I think a key thing for me is that, that when you see a player stood on the touchline getting ready to come on a pitch, you, you you want to be feeling like you genuinely believe that that player is going to come on take like Louisa said take the bull by the horns and really either change what's going on in the game or add to it and De Bruyne is at the level now where you literally look at him and go this guy it doesn't matter you're 2 nil down and you think this guy's going to end up helping us win this game 3-2 or get us a point out of it and I do believe that it's, it's a fantastic position to be in to know that you've either got him on the pitch to start games or you've got him on the bench. I mean, imagine him playing for someone else. Now, we'd definitely be linked with this guy. Do you know what I mean? And there'd be £200 million being chucked around. So how lucky are we that we don't have to lay out for him? We've already got him. And it's other teams that want him. And do you know what? I can't see De Bruyne leaving, regardless of what happens with the UEFA stuff. And if, you know, all this about players wanting to go and wanting to go somewhere else... If Madrid aren't the team they used to be, or Madrid aren't a big side anymore, why is he going to want to go there? He's not really a Barcelona player for me. Munich, that would probably be his most likely destination for me, but their midfield's packed out anyway and you know, arguably he is better than some of their midfielders, but it cost him a lot of money to sign him. And and he's comfy at City, so I can't see him leaving. So I think that you know, we've got De Bruyne for the next what is it, three three, four years, and then another extension on top of that. And De Bruyne won't be leaving us till he's thirty four, I don't think.
0: Let's move on to uh, Phil Foden now because um, some people have described his performance as the sort of coming of age. Uh, There's been a lot of very positive uh, praise for him. He was given the official man of the match. Um, Obviously, we saw Pep with one arm around Kevin De Bruyne at one point, I think it was, and then a bit later with Phil Foden and he talks about being the future. Um, We've talked about Phil Foden many times on the podcast before. We've talked about the hype that surrounds him. Uh, the potential that surrounds him, he's still only 19, doesn't turn 20 until May, Um, even though it feels like he's probably (laughs) been around a bit longer than that. I've also seen critics, though, on the other side of this argument, saying, you know, if he was as good as as people are saying, why is he not starting more important games? Um, Would you start him against Real Madrid at home, for example? Would you play him in the Old Trafford derby this coming weekend? You know, the games that really matter to people. So already given us a little bit of your thoughts so I don't know if you want to add any more to that Louisa on Phil Foden
1: yeah um I don't think I've been involved in any of the podcasts that um have talked about him before and when I when he first started to play more so in sort of the other matches like the FA Cup matches I could see a very sort of don't attack me a very sort of solid old-fashioned English player you know, very, very solid, very robust. And um, I could see the greatness in him, but not fitting into the team as it was. But what I saw last night, particularly, is a young lad that somehow managed to... I don't think adapt his the way he plays. I think, he's, I think he's adapted his head, his mind, his brain. And he was absolutely switched on. There is no reason why at the minute he shouldn't start, especially in the Manchester derby. Um, I do think City of You know, my
0: job's always to play devil's <laughs> advocate. So fine, you can pick him. Who do you leave out then? I mean, the way that Pep's picking his team at the moment, he picks sides that we just don't expect. So when Kevin De Bruyne doesn't start the cup final, when Bernardo Silva doesn't start the cup final and City win it, it doesn't matter. It was genius. And it is usually with, with Pep. So maybe it isn't as black yeah. and white as what I'm saying. But I, I come back to... Who Do you leave out, you know? So, do you go into the Manchester Derby because you've got to leave somebody out? There's only 11 you can pick. Do you leave Bernardo out? Do you leave uh, Kevin de Bruyne out? Do you leave another player out?
1: Yeah, no, I wouldn't leave de Bruyne out at all. Uh, yeah, I think consider leaving Bernardo out, you know. And it, so, you still, th- 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 does that mean?
0: And I'm not, I don't mean to depress you, but I just want to get to the heart of the matter. Does that mean? And maybe you don't mean this, and I know that teams get changed all the time, so there's not one team anymore. But do you think Phil Foden is now better than Bernardo Silva?
1: Um, no, <laughs> no, not quite yet. He's not quite there. Um, I think that just the way that they were playing on Sunday was he was he just was magnificent, magnificent, and and filled that whole whatever he did it was magic and who knows if he's going to be consistently playing like that anyway we don't know and especially when it comes to some of the other players coming on the pitch because I think our style will, cha- our style will change again and he might still not be fully adapted to that I just feel that the, it was a bit grittier again on Sunday and he fitted that gritty performance which I do feel that we need that against United for sure because they're so up and down we've got no idea what they're going to fire at us but one thing I did notice us about him and probably why he got a man of the match and you know I mean you've got all these stats that have surrounded him you know so many passes 46 51 passes one seven out of ten five shots one assist uh you know you've got all these stats with him but I noticed that he was all over that pitch and you know he's one of the players that was back defending and was fast enough and quick enough to get back. Some of our players aren't fast enough and quick enough to get back. Some of our players aren't accurate enough to make uh, tackles. And you know, we've had a few of our players over the last few seasons, especially the strikers, the forwards. You know, get yellow cards because they're not tackling well enough. I think Foden is, and I think he can do it because of that old-fashioned English play that he's got as well. So you know, I can just see him round the pitch playing all over like silver he could replace silver the end of the day you know once we lose him
3: um I, I don't know like so i'm a big phil foden fan and i think he's a good player i still think that in the past two seasons there have been there's been a boyishness to him rather than a than a mature sort of well-rounded player and i know that I know that we're not claiming that he's been you know, a top player for a couple of years. Like, I thought yesterday was his best performance in a City shirt. Yeah, me too.
1: Yeah.
3: <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, I thought yesterday was definitely his most mature performance. I thought he fit. He looked like a player that didn't look out of place yesterday. He was on that right wing, which is an unfamiliar position for him, presumably by training maybe, I, I suppose. Um, and he looked a well-rounded player yesterday. And but, but what I wouldn't say is that I wouldn't say he's ready to maybe be a starter in those big games yet. I think you know, the likes of Bernardo would definitely have something to say about that in the sense that I think Bernardo's had a bit of a slow season running up to a certain point, but I think he's kind of got over that now and he looks like he's getting back to his best. And you've got Riyad Mahrez and you've got, I mean, if you're talking about the centre of the pitch, you've still got David Silva, you've got Kevin De Bruyne, Hilkai Gundogan, there's a lot of players to to fill these gaps and I still think at this point he should just be a squad player. I do actually think he should have played more minutes this season. I think whether or not he is the absolute gem that, you know, is... is He's said to be. Pepper said on a number of occasions that he's ready to play and I, I don't think he's played enough maybe to justify that statement um, and if he is going to develop into the player that we we want him to become I think he just needs a little bit more game time. I still think that of course starting the cup final yesterday sends a bit of a message maybe we're saying oh this guy's ready but you actually looked prior to the cup final which is why for me I was so shocked that he started. He hasn't played that much football for us in the last month two months so <clears throat> I still think he's got to work his way into the team. I would like to see him play a few more games. I think in the league, especially where, for lack of a better way of putting it, the league's gone now. Um, you know, Maybe not the Champions League games, which are now probably our biggest games of the season, in, in fairness. That Madrid second leg, I wouldn't be starting him in. But I would be looking at the league campaign and thinking maybe it's time there for him to get some Premier League minutes under his belt, because ultimately that's where his bread and butter is going to be in the next 5, 10, 15 years. He's going to have to play those games. Let's get him used to that. Like, don't worry too much about the, the big games, but let's, let's get him playing. Because if he's as ready as Pep says, and I think he just needs a bit more time, I'm not saying every game, I'm not saying he should start every game, rotation, still coming in, but a, a few more minutes maybe. I don't know. Do you but. not
1: think, though, him being a City fan and being from Manchester will just set him on fire against United?
3: Possibly, and I've, I've heard the argument that obviously that local sort of passion, you know, is, is really is really good to have in a game. Personally, I don't really tend to buy into it. I don't I don't I, I know that I think it's I think it's something that maybe applied more years ago. Um I think with the team we've got, the technical level of this team, I'd be playing the eleven players that fit the game plan the best. And I don't think I'm not saying that Foden might not be the person that fits the game plan the best, but if I if I was to play Foden if I was pet, it'd be because I felt his ability as a footballer was what was gonna carry us through. I wouldn't Rely too much on the sort of the city fan feel. That's just me personally. I just I just don't I don't place much value on it. I think if he's a good enough player to start the game on on merit, then play him. Um, but if Bernardo is is better in training that week, I don't think it will matter to Bernardo that he's not a Mancunian. I think he'll still turn up and run the show. So I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of factors to consider, but for me, he wouldn't be starting the Manchester derby just yet, personally.
2: Yeah, like, like Ryan said here, I mean, I like Phil Foden a, a lot. You know, he's not played many minutes this season at all. He's not played, you know, he's, he, to be honest, he's not played many minutes this season, last season, or the season, before people say. However, when you look at the actual amount of games he's played, he's actually played quite a lot of games at the age he's at, at first team level. You know, there's not many players, Phil Foden, I mean, Pep said this himself, didn't he? There's not many players at Phil Foden's age that have played for a top-level club as often as he has, and he might not have played as many minutes as people want him to play, but he's played a lot of games for a top, 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 world, world-class team. Um, for me, a bit like Ryan said, I wouldn't be picking him on the, the fact that he's um, Mancunian, the Stop and Esther City fan, you know, you've got to be picked on merit, you've got to be picked on performances. Phil Ford in yesterday was, was fantastic, um, when compared to his own performances in the past. But to compare that performance to say a Bernardo' performance or someone else, I don't think that's fair. <clears throat> You've got to look at Foden's performances against Foden's performances and then judge improvement or you know or, or, or you know negative points or positive points on his own performances. Phil Foden, let's not forget, is a street footballer. That, that's that's the style he is. He's he's a born, naturally gifted street footballer. Learned how to play football on the streets of Stockport, which is why he's called the Stockport in the Esther, I can gather. He's been matured and he's been nurtured at academy level and he's been given all the tools to become a potential world-class football player. He's naturally gifted, like I say, he's naturally talented. He's developed them skills and honed them skills and he's become a fantastic young footballer. But at the same time, I watched him against Fulham in the Cup and for me, he was poor. So what I'm trying to say is, even when he has played the consistency level of this Phil Foden that we saw yesterday hasn't been seen enough by myself or hasn't been shown enough by him to warrant, like Ryan said, first team starts in big games. Because against Fulham, he wasn't fantastic. You look at the performance yesterday. Was that just a good day at the office for Phil Foden? And then next time he plays in in a... you know, cup final or something. He might have a bad day at the office, and then everybody's going, "Oh, maybe we, uh, maybe we judged him on that final performance." But it was a final. He was up for it. He was excited. He thrived on the on the crowd. You know, the consistency levels in these minutes have got to be shown and
0: got to be seen for him to warrant bigger starts in the future. Despite the debate that we've just had, I think the overall feeling is that Phil Foden is improving, and um, that he is a player for the future. Uh, and that he is much loved and very much loved by Manchester City supporters. You've only got to have seen on social media yesterday the love from Paul Dickov, former striker, um, uh, towards him on Twitter saying how, how great he was. And others like him, Sean Golter, he's always very uh, supportive on him as, as well. So he is a player that's not going to go anywhere and, uh, and I'm sure we'll be, uh, we'll see a lot more of him in the future. Now there is another player that was discussed a bit yesterday um, and that's John Stones. Now, um, City won the cup, and so everybody's happy about that, and everybody's in a positive mood. And maybe now is the wrong time, in a way, to almost have a debate about somebody when it's a negative question. Um, the only reason I bring it up to today is because it is being discussed, and because on the vlog that I did from Wembley's today, um, uh, there was a guy on there, a guy that I know although I, I just bumped into him by random. Um, as you know, when I do the vlogs, I literally walk around the stadium and whoever I bump into, if they will need to talk to me, then they can have their say. There is nobody set up. There's nobody arranged beforehand. Even meeting Acer Hartford and Glimpardo Pardo and things like that all happened just by not by accident. i mean I a in areas where I thought they might go, but I didn't even know those people were going to the game. So they, they're not set up. On that basis, Paul, who's a contributor in the past to the the, uh, the podcast, I bumped into and I didn't even know what he was going to say. And he was a little bit critical of, of John Stones. And he's had some stick by some people on social media for being critical on a day when City won the trophy. And when Andy Morrison said on social media that apart from that one mistake, John Dutt Stones was outstanding. But I think it's a worthy conversation for us to have. Um, whether it's perceived as being negative or positive, is up to the listener, of course, but also up to you and how you want to talk about John Stones. So, give me your thoughts on John Stones.
1: I think it's probably difficult for any person uh, just to start off with to fill somebody to fill somebody like Company's shoes, and I think that's what we're all wanting from a defender. Um, so, whoever that may be, we can't wait for the day. Uh, personally, I sort of have a, a, a feat, a, an opinion that, yeah, he slipped, made a mistake, and he's, he's made other little tiny mistakes that match, matches before, of course, yesterday led to the goal. Um, it's, it's a, you know, you can sit here and argue all day that all our forwards and strikers made mistakes yesterday because not every single one of them scored, and that's their job. They're there to score a goal. So... There's a different mindset for forwards and and defenders with with fans and you know probably even within the coaching staff um, that you know the defenders are expected to make zero mistakes all the time, but it's perfectly okay for a striker not to score a goal. So you know I I don't I don't agree with that. He's human, you know he's he's a, he's a lad that's up and down. He's had those injuries that he's come back from.
0: Well, without putting words in the mouth of Paul because he's not here to say it himself. <laughs> I think his argument wasn't based necessarily on one performance or one mistake in one game. I think it was an overall Mm. view. Um, Does that make a difference to what you're saying?
1: Um, No, 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 it doesn't, no. Um, I think that each player, if they're with a club for long enough, has their peaks and troughs. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just a Stones' his turn to not quite be there and not quite be present. I mean, you know, the way he played in, in the World Cup for England was absolutely outstanding. And, you know, I couldn't believe he was one of our players. I felt so lucky. And he really stepped up to the, the mark for that, you know, certainly the following season afterwards, you know, and, and he, he, he lived up to his reputation and was outstanding for us. And at the minute... He's, so he's not playing 100%, but I, I don't know. I mean, I still think since company left, there's not just a void on the pitch. There's a void in the dressing room. That There's you know, there's players coming in and out with injuries. There must be all sorts going on in their minds and in their heads. And you know probably at some point during any podcast that I'm on, I always come down to the psychology of, of a player and the psychology of a person. And I just I just think that, yeah, you can be angry at him. Yeah, he slipped. Yeah, he made a mistake. But so did a bunch of others on the pitch. So did Bravo. He made a mistake. He let a goal in. You know, if, if we were 10-1 up... No one would have minded so much stone slipping, you know. We, we should, in theory, all the others made a mistake. Then
0: let me take <laughs> it another. Let me ask you another question for the other two. Have their say, which is, um, I hear what you're saying, and it's and there's a lot of City fans who will agree with you. Who will be right behind him. We have at the moment a very loyal fan base, and particularly after what's happened with UEFA. I think there's a feeling that City fans and the club are sticking together very strongly mm, yep. and if they're one of our own, we're right behind them. So this isn't meant to, to sound quite as quite as divisive as maybe it does but if you were Pep Guardiola, <laughs> we all like to pretend <laughs> we are, don't we? <laughs> if no, no one has a fit to lace his boots. If you were Pep Guardiola and it came to the summer and there was no problem with City spending money or lifts and bucks, would you can persist on with John Stones and trust that he will be the Vincent company that you want him to be, or would you be looking to sign somebody to replace him?
1: Uh, no, I would not want to replace him, not because of his history and what he's already done and what I know yeah. he's still ca- very capable of doing.
0: That's a, a clear answer. What about you two? Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd
3: look to sell him. I'd so cut the opposite? My, I'd cut my losses with John Stones, I think. I, I like John Stones, I actually do, and I've, I really rooted for him a lot over the years. But I mean, how, how long's he been in now? Four years. Four years. I can't recall too many really long periods where he's been massively solid. Um, I don't think it just comes down to his performance level at the moment. I think there's there's issues of injuries, and I know that's not his fault. But when you're looking at an all-round, you know, you're looking at a whole thing in a player, he's he's quite injury prone. Um, he, his performances for me aren't consistent enough across a long period of time to ever be a starter. Um, and I used to disagree with myself on that. I used to think, no, you know, he's, there's still time and stuff, but we're four years in now and I, and I feel like I, I don't think John Stone's ever going to be that, that Vincent Company type player. Um, yesterday, I actually didn't think by the mistake that he was that bad. I thought he played quite well yesterday. The mistake was a bit of a howler. Um, the, only, the only reason I tend to disagree on the, on the whole he made a mistake but strikers missed goals is that if Aguero would miss a, a, a sitter from three yards out and it was, it was clean over the bar, and, and the, that to me equates to the level of mistake that John Stones made, which directly cost us a goal. I think if John Stones misplaces one pass, that's maybe the same as Aguero missing a, a, you know, a, a speculative effort. I think costing us a goal, which which he did, and again, I'm not here to stick the knife into him. I actually thought he played all right by that. I thought he, he recovered in the second half and did an okay job, but he did cost us a goal. And I think for John Stones, that's become far too common. I don't think his focus is there. I don't look at I don't look him on the pitch when I'm at the game and think he's going to marshal us through this game in the same way that I do looking at Fernandinho. It's too, it's been too easy to put Fernandinho, who's a who's a defensive midfielder by trade. Into John Stone's position this season and watch Fernandinho perform worlds above what I've seen from John Stone's in a long time. So, personally, in the summer, someone came in with a decent offer and City had another target that they felt genuine. Well, whoever, but if, <laughs> if someone came in with 25, 30 million for John Stone's, you know, maybe a little bit more than that in the current market, and City had another target that they were looking at, or they maybe were looking at. The likes of Eric Garcia and thinking we might promote him actually I'd I'd maybe cut my losses on him and the only thing I would say is that if he was staying as a squad player I don't think many teams have as good as say maybe a fourth choice centre half as John Stones but I don't imagine John Stones at this point in his career is going to want to play fourth choice at any side um, unless maybe he's happy to sort of you know run his contract down which I don't imagine he is.
0: Given where we are on his contract which you've illustrated... Uh, after this, I think, as I am I understand it, once we get to next summer, he's got a year left. Normally, when a player gets to that stage, and if I've made a mistake there, then I hold my hands up. But as, as I understand it, I haven't looked it up at the moment. If he has only got one year in the rest of this season to go, normally, by this point, uh, a player is in negotiations, the club is in negotiations. That's what they're doing with Sane right now. And that's why there's been all this speculation about him leaving. And yet... There isn't, hasn't been any noises about tying stones down to a new contract. Does that suggest the direction of travel here? I think
3: so. I think it suggests that the City aren't sold on him and that this summer might be the time where they go... Let's see maybe what what someone comes up with because actually he'd still be a good player at a lot of teams. I'm not sitting there and saying he's an awful footballer by any stretch. You look at like an Everton or someone like that and he'd probably do a really good job there. Yeah, I mean, but whether or not he's willing to take that step down, I suppose, with respect to those teams, um, I don't know. I don't know what his mindset is on it. But for me, he's not going to be a first choice at City. He won't be alongside Laporte for me. Um, and if he is, then he won't produce the goods for me on a regular basis. I don't know what you think, Hal. Yeah, well,
2: when when we signed John Stones, and I wasn't completely sold on him anyway. He'd made a hell of a lot of errors for Everton. He'd, he'd had some, ho- well, i a horrible performances. There'd been some horror performances for Everton. Uh, at times, and there was a lot of, I think Merson, I'm not a massive Paul Merson fan in terms of sometimes the way that he, he criticises us, for example, but he'd, he'd already analysed John Stones a season before we signed him and said that, you know, he was playing out from the back, but he was very risky, it wasn't a convincing uh, composure, it was a very risky-looking kind of composure that was disguised as composure, where really, Stones was just panicking on the ball, didn't really know what to do with it. I d- don't think he feels any, you know, I mean, you could, you could get Edison and Bravo on a podcast Well, that'd be great, wouldn't it? And ask them, do they trust John Stones when he's on the ball? And I guarantee both of them would probably say, oh, well, he makes us a bit nervous. We don't really know where to position ourselves because we we're already anticipating a loss of possession. Laporte ask him, Fernandinho ask him, even Otamendi at times ask him. They'd feel a lot more you know, calm with, with, with them on the ball. Um, when we signed John Stones, he was muted to be England's captain. Um, world class centre half, potential to be, you know, one of the best in the world. Well, and,
0: Louisa says, in, if for England he has been.
2: Yeah, well, in that World Cup, I, I agree with Louise hundred percent. Him, Walker, um, and Maguire were great in that World mm, Cup. Yeah. Um, I agree that he's been injured. I agree that he's suffered from injury. I know psycholo- the psychology of injury can be can be terrible for players. You know, recovering from injuries psychologically, worrying about re-injury and, and worrying about potentially, you know, putting in poor performances. But you just look at Laporte's first uh, first game back after the injury. Been out for six months and he looked like he'd not been off the pitch. That's the difference between, in my opinion, a world-class centre arm. I'm not saying everybody has to, you know, you're not world-class if you don't deal with injuries, you know, in that manner. But you can just tell how good Laporte is. He comes straight back on the pitch and he'd look like he'd not been out at all. And he looked as composed, as good as ever. We signed Emery a merit from, from uh, Bilbao. And I think I did a vlog that... That after that game with you and said he's the best centre half that I've seen in a City shirt since Vincent Kompany that was after one game and I've never looked back since on that comment I've never I've never taken that back I've never you know regretted saying it because he is exactly that he's made mistakes but he's a great great centre half John Stones is not as world class as Emerick Laporte and Laporte is younger than him if you think about it as well and to keep going oh Stones is only 25 for me now he's becoming a bit of a tiresome excuse like uh you know, like we said a bit, uh, you know, a minute ago, four seasons and all this. And for me, you know, Pep signed him. Pep's had four years with him. If Pep's not been able to improve him or get him to the level that he thought he would get him to within four years, then for me, it might be time to let him go. And on the Garcia point, Eric Garcia already for me is a much more rounded Pep Guardiola centre half than John Stones is, and he's only 19 year old.
3: He's- He's not progressed for me. Um, I think that's probably the big issue, and I actually think the only place I disagree on what you've just said is that I actually think his his football isn't for me the big issue. I still think there are, there are issues with that. I just think as a defender, I just don't think as a as a as a sturdy centre back who who wins always. You know, I don't think he is these things. Uh, there's a lot of criticism for Nicolas Otamendi, and don't get me wrong, Nicolas Otamendi drops a lot of clangers, a lot, but. There have been periods of time in the last four or five years where I've looked at Armandi and thought, as a defender, he is a better defender than John oh, wow. Stones. He's a he's a better he's better aerially, despite the fact he's smaller. Um, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not Ottomendi's biggest fan by a long stretch, but I'm also not John Stones' biggest fan, um, and I just don't think he's progressed since we bought him. I don't think he's yeah, at the time we bought him, he was a raw talent, a guy that that was good on the ball. He's still good on the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's world class on the ball. He's good on the mm-hmm. ball. He's not as good as Laporte, but you know, mm-hmm. um, we signed him as as that good on the ball player with defensive frailties. For me, he's still a player that's good on the ball with defensive frailties. He's not he's not solid. <clears throat> he's not consistent. Um, and again, if he was a squad player, I think there's a, the, you know he's a good fourth choice to have, maybe even a third choice, but. If I'm asking myself now, would I honestly go into next season and you said to me, our first choice two centre backs, Remerit Laporte and John Stones, I go, I can't believe you are starting with John Stones when you've got a summer to try and maybe find someone or even do another year of Fernandinho there or whatever. I just can't believe that would be the choice because he's not showing anything to me to suggest that we should trust that. Given you know the, the things we'll be going for league titles, and I just think he's a squad player. Just one more thing, in as well, when he played with with Laporte at the start of of
2: the season. They look great together. Like they look really good together. But that now makes me think a bit on that as well, that it was it was Ames making him look better than he was. He was he was carrying the cam for the centre back partnership and I think sometimes a lot of footballers on a football pitch, especially in defensive partnerships, in central midfield partnerships, they can almost be kind of saved by the counterpart, if you want to call it that, that, that companion in midfield or in defence.
0: Which you could argue happened when Mangala was playing alongside uh, Vincent Kompany. Mm. Mm. And Did eventually almost... um, uh, it, Mangala was exposed. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, yeah. I'm saying that's an example of what yeah, you're talking but, about. But I
2: mean, I, I was calling them uh, Ames and Stones and it was brilliant and, and it, it was like, you know, th- these two could be the next best thing. and I think, were almost, I think we're being really I'm going to give the last,
1: yeah.
0: give the last the one on this debate to Louisa. I, th-
1: I think we're being really unfair to him. Um, the you know I think probably because of the position he's in at the minute, there's too much weight on this guy's shoulder. We're expecting too much, all of us. Um, you know, you've had Walker that's been on and off and inconsistent for the last few years. Mendy, you know, coming on, coming off. Where is he? Is he fit? Is he not? Otter Mendy. You know, you've got. We've had Zinchenko defending because we've had no defenders. I still think we've been a little bit unfair to John Stones. Still think he needs a proper chance. And um, I would really like to see, hear from if we, if we know anyone personally, or if we know someone that sits at home doing this stuff, because I think Stones is going to come up probably again in on another podcast, in another debate. Is some stats, some actual stats. So oh, not I hate no, stats. yeah. I well, hate m- stats. more of you know how stats many touches, really how many touches work. of the ball, how many games have we lost by how many goals when he's been on the pitch? You know, I want to sort of see some real evidence here of why why anyone thinks that he, he doesn't deserve his place or he shouldn't be here next season. My
0: condemnation of stats was not aimed at you, no, by the way. Because I'm not a
1: statistician. No, so. no. Oh, you're, <laughs> you can,
0: you're entitled to love stats. I'm just saying personally, and this isn't about the John Stones debate. It's about any player debate stats. Do me heading because they uh, they can be very misleading. Right, we'll we'll draw a line under that one there now. Earlier today, and this is a topic that has been talked about so much by City fans, uh, which is the negativity, of course, from from other fans now as well uh, as the media towards the club because of what's happened. Obviously, City played uh, three times since the ban. Uh, Leicester away, and their fans were singing. Cheats—you only get there by cheating and all the rest of it. Um, in Madrid, um, there wasn't as much evidence of it, but then they made saying stuff in Spanish that I couldn't understand. <laughs> and then at the weekend uh, in the Villa game, um, I've had people—I'll read one out in a little while—telling uh, me that there was a certain amount of animosity from Villa fans towards City, and and I certainly heard as I was walking around away from the stadium mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, accusations of cheats, etc., going on. And uh, the feeling is that that the media, and I'm not putting an opinion on this, are stoking up a sort of animosity. Um, I personally do feel uh, that we live in a world these days where newspapers, where podcasts, where vlogs, where it not matter what sort of media it is, radio, uh, everybody lives in a commercial world, even if you work for the BBC. Or how many clicks you get, how many interactions you get, how many engagements you get. The number of people have said to me, and this is having a go at Talk Sport particularly, you can have your views on that, but people saying to me, ah, that uh, Jordan on Talk Sport says this, says that, and they get really riled by it. And I just say, well, don't listen then. Mm. If you don't agree with it, just don't listen. Um, but the fact is that people, that is the world we live in. It doesn't matter whether it's the coronavirus, <laughs> whether it's Brexit, whether it's. You know, it doesn't matter what the subject matter is, if you can wind people up and get them to to be very strongly anti-your-view, then you get a better reaction. Uh, Obviously, I didn't know how you three were going to talk about John Stones. The fact that you disagreed to a certain extent means it was a debate and people might listen to it more, but it certainly wasn't done. For all I know, you could have all been in agreement. But on that basis of this animosity, um, Dr Gary James... Who you, you know is the city historian yeah. and writer <clears throat> did a I'm going to read out part of what he he put out as a sort of his little comment on it. It's not all of it. If you want to read the whole thing, uh, go and look him up. Uh, he's called it, it's at Gary James writer. I think I think I've got that right. But certainly if you look for Gary James uh, on Twitter, uh, and he is a, a superb writer, superb, um, skillful city. Associate who I couldn't recommend higher. They're the stats that matter. Now whether you whether you agree with what he says isn't the point. The point is he writes eloquently and he hits the nail on the head. Sometimes is part of what he said. Um, uh, over the last couple of years, City fans have been bombarded with criticism. With some journalists claiming that Manchester City are and then something or other. The latest being that success has made us unhappy and that we pine for the old days in the third tier. <laughs> what rubbish! It seems it's just been open season for some now, and that City fans have had to resort to social media posts, forums, writing for King of the Kipaks or the Manchester Evening News. He didn't put in the or contribute to the Forever Blue <laughs> vlogs yeah. or podcasts. He left that out. But I hope you you were thinking that as well. I hope somewhere out there will listen and support them. They've been accused of not attending football matches, not existing before 2008, supporting human rights abuses, defending the club at all costs, bias, and much more. I personally cannot remember a time when the fans of any club have received such negativity from such a wide volume of media and other fans. I remember well the days when City uh, fans of English clubs rampaged through Europe. And were condemned by net many, but this is different. As far as I'm aware, as a body, Manchester City fans have not committed a crime. They have merely supported their club. Now that's only a little bit of it. Um, he talks about the diversity of City fans, and we know that among the, the fan base of every football club, there are lots of different people who have lots of different views, lots of different reasons for watching football. Um, but the fact is that at the moment, <clears throat> despite what, whatever the ultimate rights and wrongs will be of the UEFA decision, followed by potentially a Premier League decision, uh, City are being called all these names. How do you feel about that? How, and the, He's referring as well, by the way, to an article that was written in the Guardian, which I read. So um, I don't know if you read that article. What are your comments?
2: Ian, look, you know, I wasn't brought up in the 70s, 80s, Missed out, you missed out you I, mean, like, enough. I, I wasn't cold I wasn't I wasn't there in the really dark days but I was there in the darkish going towards the light and I can kind of I can kind of appreciate that you know you know I don't know it's a weird one, isn't it like just to dive a, a, a second but into kind of what he's, he's touched on this article about the fans pining for the old days it's not a it's not a, we'd rather have the old days back and not have the success and, and everything that, that goes with the success. It's just, I don't know what I mean, I sat there watching the final yesterday and after the, after the second goal win, I thought, oh, this is going to be pretty easy, this. And it was just one of them things where you just think, I actually do not feel like a cup final now. Do you know what I mean? It actually just feels like a, a you know, a nice stroll, stroll in the park. And you almost miss, I don't know if you agree, you almost miss the... Challenging in, a, in in a sense of it, but you don't you don't wish that it wasn't like that because you wouldn't swap the success. I don't know. It's a weird way It's, it's a tough one. You kind of you, you almost kind of miss the excitement of being the underdog, a bit like Louisa touched on before. But you wouldn't swap being the overdog if you want to call it that. And the overdog, I wasn't think, an uh, <laughs> I know. But I just kind of think that you know the, the criticisms are disgrace, no certain terms. Um, I've I've always been you know City out on my sleeve. Supported the club through, thick and thin, not as much thick as you Ian but as much thick as I could possibly support us through um, and we're nothing short of, of passionate, dedicated, loyal Um, you know I don't go to every single game home and away but you do there's other fans that do there's fans that have been going for 50 60 years there's fans that went to Madrid and did exactly what the media don't want to report and supported the club thousands and thousands of City fans every time you watch us on TV and you listen to TV coverage all you can hear is us at away games it's tremendous they don't want to focus on that. They only want to focus on the negative, and they try and tie that in with the stuff that they're accusing Caldoun uh, and the Sheikh and Cheeky and Ferran doing. And it's just wrong, you know. We're a separate entity. We're the fans. They're our family. So if you come for one of us, you come for us all. But don't tar us all with the same brush. Don't tar them with any brush, because like I said a couple of weeks ago, I believe that we're innocent, Ian. And uh, to attack the fans, like Gary said, is a, is a disgrace. When really, if 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 you know if if we like they say we are then every football fans like they say we are because you know some fans do 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 what they're accusing us of uh,
3: it's been you know what, it's been a really weird sort of year for me personally because i've got a little bit fed up with football um, and and it's only recently sort of reinvigorated with me a little bit and, and a big part of it is is the circus that surrounds football at the moment um, and especially man city and um, I've missed, like, before this season, I think I've missed four games in in about 12 years. Home games, I should say. In all competitions. I missed eight this year, which is, you know, pretty staggering, really. But I'm I'm a little bit fed up, or I have been a little bit fed up, with everything that surrounds City at the moment. And I'm not saying it's the fault of City. I mean, we're yet to discover whether or not it is the fault of City to a degree, whether they have, you know, done some wrongdoing. Um, But... That the media sort of like perception of Man City is, is is borderline like you know goody versus villain kind of thing, and, and I don't really.
0: That's what Gary's getting at, really. You know, isn't there's
3: it? a narrative. There's just a, a very very strong narrative that we are this evil entity um, as a club. Um, and you know, that somehow the fans are, are not responsible for that but are in are in, you know, sort of
2: for condoning it, you Well well, I
3: think As I think good... I think the idea is that we we have done something wrong by supporting Man City when they when they are these awful, awful people who spend <laughs> money on transfers <laughs> and they get their money from awful places and they're human rights abuse and all the fans are human rights abusers because because maybe someone tied to that you know, all well, the that's, fans that's
0: a crucial part of this this debate because um the fans are just fans. Yeah. We just going and watch yeah, the exactly. football. I never started watching
3: yeah. City with, with, with political or, or you know, <laughs> I just want to watch the football team and that's kind of why I got a bit fed up this year with it is that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to spark a debate about VAR, but... Um, the start of the season I went to the Spurs game the first home game of the season and, and we scored two perfectly good goals not not the one that was disallowed but we scored two that were given and both times I found myself cheering going to hug my dad and stopping myself and going I, don't, I couldn't tell if he was offside and just sort of stopping so V A R a and I just kind of I remember leaving that ground because obviously we scored a goal later on it got disallowed for nicking Laporte's fingernail and um, and I, I just felt a little bit like fed up I was a bit, and it's and it's carried on all season. I missed a lot of games, and then Madrid sort of brought me back in a little bit. And it wasn't about us winning in the Champions League. It wasn't about the glory hunting or anything like that. For once, it just felt, for a night at least, it was about the football again. Great performance. I had pride in the performance, and I, and I and I haven't. It's not that I haven't felt that with City, and, and it's not really City's fault that I've not become. Uh, I've become a bit disinterested this year, but. I just wanna watch the football. I wanna watch a team play football with you That's with, what every you know, fan wants. And that's <laughs> it. And I think as football fans, you know, I don't care who you support, you don't go into the into the stadium thinking what are my owners doing and what are their political <laughs> feeling and what are they spending their money on where's the money going no one does that you know we, go, we want to go and watch a football team and support it with our mates and with our family and we want and a part of the community and and i just think like, we've invested the
2: money have we no and, the, and you this, and this
3: you know this media it is a media attack i'm like it is i'm it's sorry it's a media but, attack
1: on the fans this uh, time uh, yeah this and, and, isn't on the club do you know it's what us. if you want
3: to go after the club If they've broken the rules regarding financial fair play, you know, we can have the argument about whether financial fair play is fair in itself, but that's a different debate. If you want to go after the club for that, then fine. You know, personally, like, if they're going to say that City have broken the rules, fine. But all this stuff about how the fans are responsible and, oh, not responsible, but how we're condoning it and we're in collusion with it, because because how dare we support this team who. Well, one of
1: the things that he said was everything, all the beautiful football, all the brilliant goals has been undercut by the knowledge it was funded by questionable money.
3: It's rubbish. It, it's it, garbage. Yeah,
1: you're right. We don't rock up to games thinking, oh, you know, I'll feel a bit, uh, oh, yeah, De I, I feel got a that, that that goal that De Bruyne scored the other day or that penalty. Oh, no, no. It's De it's all got a funded screamer, but by I can not enjoy it because where the yeah, money came can't from. I enjoy on, that. No. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, t- to be honest, as City fans go, I. Um, I think our responses online have been absolutely brilliant I do because especially after yesterday you know there was other sort of the, I mean the, you know these are quotes from this uh, Guardian and you know we're unhappy by the curse of winning trophies success is not as much fun as everyone assumes you know and all the response that, that's going on is like oh no it was terrible winning that yesterday you no know, it wasn't any fun you know it's terrible being in London being, being at Wembley again so I do think we're having a good response to it to be fair um, but there were a couple of things in in there that I didn't, you know, I didn't quite like. And one of the things this Guardian article said was losing to Villa would bring embarrassment. Well, why? What are you trying to say about Villa and other teams in the Premier League anyway? Villa, to me, are on the cusp of greatness themselves. They're in a position that we were in just, you know, just a few years ago. And I can see that, and I can see their passion and dedication as as a team. And that Greylish is an the absolutely fan fantastic. Their fan base is like Stadium. our fan base. And you know, and I, I couldn't have, apart from maybe somebody like West Ham, who you know we have got a very good relationship with, I couldn't thought of any other team to play yesterday And yet,
0: and yet, this is—I can't find the tweet, but it was from <clears throat> Mo Surrey, who's a regular listener. Thanks for listening, Mo. Who tweeted uh, that they'd been on the railway station or the, the underground station or wherever after the game. <clears throat> I think she'd been with some younger people as well, and there'd been a lot of abuse from Aston Villa fans. Um, which was aimed at the City fans okay. on the basis of your club is a cheat, <laughs> your club is doing this, your club is that, which she argues, and other elders are arguing, is being stoked up mm-hmm. by this negativity in the media. And whilst City fans, she says, in her situation, were sort of quite resilient and laughed it off and self deprecating humour, and anyway, we'd won the cup and nothing really happened, but this feels as if there's a fuse been lit here and something that could become more serious if it's not raining a little bit well, because of the ongoing negativity. It. It,
1: it's going to ruin it. Forget the accusations and, and forget, you know, the, the money side and the UEFA thing. You know, it's, somebody says the success isn't as much fun as everybody assumes it will be if this carries on and on and on into something quite volatile and quite vile then it isn't going to be as much fun people are gonna you know the, the game's struggling as it is because all our lives are so very different than they were 30 years ago there wasn't much else to do on a Saturday but to go to a football match you know even me as a kid going with my dad and you know life's changed football might it, who knows it might struggle we, nobody knows what the, what the future is but I think to take it out on the fans that have stood by this club through thick and thin on cold miserable wet Manchester Saturdays uh, to, to support this club down in the lower divisions and as they've crawled their way back up for somebody to say the success isn't as much fun and have Manchester City fans been really happy since the moment Sergio Aguero scored that goal are you having a laugh? You know, of course we're happy, and just just one thing that ties with that is, you know, the last one of the last things in this article is what, in the end, is happiness. Well, you know what, why don't we all just chill, sit back, be kind. As fans, go to the game and just enjoy it. There are other people that have very serious jobs and futures and careers that take care of all this stuff. That is their job, it is important to them to go to work every day and to work for a football club or for UEFA or whoever. But us as fans, don't. we don't have to worry about any of that. We just wanna enjoy our team's success. Probably not going to last forever. Like most teams, it doesn't. Look at Liverpool. How long have they been been out of action? They're coming back up.
0: Look at Bury. They've not even at, got a club to support look at anymore. Barry now, they're in trouble they, as they've well. Gone, they've
1: gone. There are teams in trouble. Bolton, you know, there are so many teams in trouble here. As fans, can we not just come together and it's just not, have a well, bit of support? The real
0: bottom line is it's whatever you think about anything to do with City fans are just fans. Ian, I'll yeah. tell you what happiness is, right? <laughs> happiness is <laughs> happiness is seeing your team
2: lift, lift, lift the League Cup for yeah. the third time in a row yesterday yeah. after sitting there <laughs> or shall I say standing there crying in a pub in 2010 watching Rooney's header at the back of the net away at Old Trafford mm-hmm. and, and knowing mm-hmm. that our, our, our chance of winning our first trophy in a long, 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 long time had been snatched away from us in the second leg of a Carling Cup semi-final. Knowing that Oh, that might be the end of that trophy oh, knowing that we we one day win a trophy but we didn't know when thank God we won the FA Cup the season after but to know that we won that very trophy that we were denied in that semi-final second leg ten years ago that we've won that very trophy three times in a row that's happiness and the titles and the FA Cup again, and all the Community Shields because I count them too, and potentially a Champions League trophy this season if we do what I think we can do, and we can win it. And then it's you know in in in, in a less insulting way, two fingers up to UEFA. And um, you know regardless of where the money's come from, Dave pointed at it on the podcast on the night of the UEFA ban. Paul pointed at it to Paul from Prestige Carapers, and he pointed out <laughs> that you cannot ever. <laughs> Trace the paper trail of money right the way back to where it came from. Who knows where the Glazers' money's actually come from? Who knows where Ibramovic's money actually came from? Who knows where Califa's money came from at PSG? Who knows where Barcelona's money and Real Madrid's money and Liverpool's money from American businessmen's come from? Nobody knows where that money's passed through, who's touched it, whose filthy hands have touched that money. And I say that with... You know, with, with, with a bit of sarcasm to it. Nobody has a clue. And as far as I'm concerned, no matter where the money comes from, it's what you do with the money. It's how you play it once you've spent the money. And there was no guarantees you'd win trophies. And if that's so, and we buy trophies, how come that Pep Guardiola's won more than uh, the, the, the Mancini and Pellegrini did? Because surely if you buy the trophies, you could buy the
0: same amount every season. Perhaps I'll leave the last word on this podcast to uh, to Ryan been great to have you back Ryan Yeah. you said you've been a little bit disillusioned at times and you very eloquently a few moments ago said that uh, the fact that City played in Real Madrid and you're proud of them it lacked controversy that game there was mm-hmm. no VAR involved fantastic referee you know yeah great referee that's isn't are you not really the epitome of what we all are in one person in that you just love watching your football team through thick and thin and and obviously everybody wants thick but you know I
3: I think it's just when you become a football fan when when, when you're six years old or whatever you go to your first game there isn't this like this politics and and this, this whole deeper meaning attached to it you just go you want to watch football and actually it's not always just about the football you know you go with your friends you go with your family you go you stand with the people at the ground who become like your second family. And it's about that stuff. And, and you know, I, I know there's so many fans of other teams that think that this club would collapse if we were to, you know, get relegated or whatever. But, you know, the, the, the Blues would still be there. There'd still be fans, thousands and thousands. You might lose a few. I'm not saying, you know, happens to every team. There's thousands and thousands of fans who would still be there every week enjoying the fun, getting beat 3-0 and not be. You know, it's just... It's the way it is. And don't get me wrong, I love winning trophies. I love it. I love going to Wembley and, like, you know, it has become a bit like, you know, you're sort of like, oh, third one in a row. But I still enjoy it and I still love it. But it's not the reason I love football. And that's what I was saying earlier when I said Wednesday against Madrid, it reinvigorated it for me. It wasn't about the fact we'd beaten Real Madrid. It wasn't about the fact it was a big game. Just for the first time in ages, we put a team out. We played a good game of football with a team that we're also trying to win. Referee was fantastic, there was no controversy, VAR wasn't involved you know i actually deleted my twitter over the over the summer um because i was fed up of just reading garbage online i just i'd be i'd be scrolling through and i'd see you know the next guy say that we're we're you know cheats and we've got this dirty money or whatever i've got bored of it and i just thought you know what like i'm, I'm fed up i don't want to read it like and it's like you said earlier if you don't like something don't read it i don't i don't bother with any of it now i know that if i go and i'm happy watching the football with people that i enjoy watching football with it doesn't matter to me um and, and you know the whole money argument, I, I agree with Harlan. It, if you were to start looking at where money comes from, every team, you know, in Europe, there'd be plenty of teams where you'd, you'd maybe question the, the where that money's come from and things. But it seems That's to it. be City are yeah, the perfect mm-hmm. villain, and and actually. Were the ones they want to pin it on?
0: You know, I don't. I, I said it was the last word, but there was one other thing I, mm. I should have brought up, and I'll conclude the, the podcast with this. I don't know if you noticed the weekend Hoffenheim played by Munich yes. in uh, Bundesliga, and uh, in Germany in the Bundesliga um, there is a rule. It's obviously not hundred percent that the fans have got to own the club fifty one percent. There are three exceptions uh, in the Bundesliga: Wolfsburg, by Leverkusen, which are both works teams. Oh. Obviously, Volkswagen own Uh, or started, Volzberg and Bayer, the big uh, pharmaceutical company, Bayer Leverkusen, that's why they're called Bayer Leverkusen, are a works team. And Hoffenheim, and I've been out there, uh, I think it's called Sinsheim, the town where they actually play, um, the little village of Hoffenheim is a minute, tiny little village. And a guy who's been extremely successful, uh, who's from Hoffenheim, um, decided that he would support his local town team. And um, and through his success of his company, I think the company's SAP. Yeah. I don't even know what they do properly. I believe he's involved in trying to find cures for cancer and all sorts of really worthy things. Mm. But he's he's made billions of pounds, and he's ploughed a lot of that money into his hometown team. And yeah, and Hoffenheim uh, oh, yeah, wow. uh, have risen to the, the top flight in German football, um, and 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 they've you know they've built a new ground, and and although they're not quite the same sort of powerhouses as uh, Bayern Munich etc they have become a bit of a threat. The interesting thing was at that, that game the Bayern Munich fans fans put a big post up complaining about this ownership mm. saying how terrible it was and I thought I can't be- this is the fans saying it the officials of Bayern Munich, who clearly are some of the people behind trying to get City squashed down, in my opinion, um, had to go out there and plead to their own fans to take those signs down. Hmm. We're in strange times here. Mm-hmm. and I yeah. personally wish <laughs> Hoffenheim all the best. I do. <laughs> yep. And And... and well done. Yeah. This a is a bloke driving his own for team forward. Who's who's trying to make him into a bigger team? Why would anybody anybody object the to that? The big
3: boys don't like it. They're, they're, you know, Bayern Munich to the world. They're looking at up-and-comers and thinking, why can't our permanent place at the table stay permanent forever? It's as simple as that. And and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but the likes of Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, whatever, they don't like these new coming teams because it threatens their their long-term dominance. And it's it, to me, it's as simple as that. It is an opinion, but I yeah. think
1: I think wherever we go with it with this money business is as a fan, I, I'm not interested. I don't want to know. What I really genuinely liked yesterday after that game. Was the team on the pitch which you know any team does it after they win a cup no problem but I they were very very close to the the boardings they were very close to the fans yesterday and I felt Pep I don't know if he'd said it beforehand I don't know if it was just all the way it happened you know I absolutely felt that that was a moment between the players between the team and between the fans that was a very special moment of this is about football.
0: What a great way to end the podcast. Thanks very much, Louisa. Thanks very much to Ryan and Thank to Harlan. You. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks, of course, to charleslouis.co.uk, sponsors of the podcast. They are Chartered Mortgage Advisors. i sure you picked that up at the beginning of the episode. Uh, they have a website, charleslouis.co.uk. Have a look at it. Ring them. Tell them you're a City fan. Just have a chat about football if you want. Uh, and thanks to, 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 uh, to for them for supporting us. Obviously, two big games coming up this week, Sheffield Wednesday and FA Cup on Wednesday, and then the Manchester Derby. So I suspect we'll have a lot to talk about when uh, we reconvene, can reconvene even, the Forever Blue <laughs> podcast in a week's time. Hopefully I'll have my voice back by then. Um, <laughs> see you next time. But <laughs> this week, particularly, <laughs> it's, been, it's great being a blue, isn't it? It is indeed.